Hey Jubilee, thank you so much for joining us online for our service today. We're right in our February series where our teaching team is asking God every week to just give them a word for our church for that specific weekend. So we're all super excited to hear what God has for us this week. If you want to give to our church, there's three ways you can give online. You can give on our website, jfc.org. You can give on text to give or you can give on our app. Thanks for joining us and enjoy our service. Yep, so Father, we just received that right now. Of all the messages through the week that we hear about who we are or what it's supposed to be like or how we're going to feel or, Lord, all those different things, we shut all of that out right now to hear your voice. We are your children. You love us, unchanging, unconditional. It's new every morning. It doesn't run out at night. We can count on it. Hold on to it. And regardless of how we feel and what we do, the Bible says you remain faithful even when we're faithless because you don't deny yourself. And so, God, we just, man, we just hold on to that right now. Lord, wherever hearts are at and whatever place, we're all, we walk in here in so many different, varied places. And what you can do that nothing else can do you can bring us together to experience your love right now. Your word, your truth, your life, your grace, your mercy. So Father, wherever, bring it together so that this is true. We, not I, we together love Jesus. We bless him. And I pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, keep that heart and go ahead and take a seat. On your seat, uh, you should have seen the communion element uh, too. Please hold on to that till we get to the end, and we're going to take uh, communion together today. And I think it works out really neat um, for how the message uh, ends. Um, the The worship team, we, we talk in between when the message is written and we, we lead on the weekend, and we talk about what songs, uh, when it comes to that that last song, what would help us to do Ministry. So I think we've got something today that you're really going to, um, you're going to find an opportunity to connect with God, which is if that happens for you, we had church. And if that doesn't happen, we had a meeting. And there's a world of difference between those two, those two things. Uh, if you go ahead and grab your notes, you'll need a pen or a pencil. Uh, there's some fill in the blanks. If you want to use the online version, U Notes, Y-O-U Notes, that's great. And if you uh, just want to simply listen to the message However you um, learn and receive, that's what we want you to feel comfortable doing. Uh, the title of the message, I left it, um, it's, there's a directive here, but it's also a little wider than just a single message. So um, let, me, let me give you a background. What we're doing right now is uh, we'll do a series, and then in between a series, we're doing several messages on just what do we feel like God is speaking to us that week at that point right there. And we want to leave room to be able to hear from God, but we also want to pre-plan and uh, like over the next several months, what, what direction do we want to go and what do we want to be teaching? But we don't feel like it has to be one or the other. It can be this and that. So what we're doing uh, in this month right now is just doing simple messages that are, what, what's God speaking to us? So last week, I talked on marriage. If you were here, uh, you heard the message. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to listen to it. I feel like the Lord really used it in a great way. There were some really, um, some really wonderful things that came out of it. But this happened to me uh, as soon as Sunday was over. It didn't happen on, I guess it did happen on Saturday one time. But it happened to me three times on Sunday as soon as I got done. So four times over the weekend, I have people that go to our church, walk up, not knowing that the other one had said it. Uh, all walked up and said, Pastor, I've been here for X number of years. In one case, lady said, I've been here for 15 years. I've never heard you teach on what happens after divorce. And all four of them said basically the same thing to me. And it dawned on me, um, I don't think I have taught that. Then I asked myself, why haven't I taught that? And I think this is the reason why. I think I work so hard on the front end of it. Like trying to keep it from happening, trying to invest. It's why we have counselors full-time on our staff to help with that. I, I teach from the idea, do everything that you can to make it work. Don't take the easy way out. Don't, the idea of no-fault divorce, how many of you know there's no such thing as that? We use that term like it's easy, but even in a situation where it's less complicated, there's still, there's still scars that come from it. And so I think in my mind, I work on that front end so hard, but the truth of the matter is that, that 
it's one of the most important things to understand about God, that God is not a God who is like, hey, you blew it, and I'm sorry, but you know, your life now, you, you got to live as a second-class citizen. Here's the wonderful news about our God. Our God is the God of a second chance for a hundred times. And if you need mercy, God offers mercy. And if you need restoration, and here, here's the most amazing thing. Even if it's your fault, I thought I would get a better, yeah, yeah. Maybe the message is, it's your fault. We are all guilty when it comes to sinning, yes or no? We all, and here's so even if it's your fault and you did it and you blew it, here's our God. Our God is a restorer. He gives second chances to people who need them over and over and over again. And it doesn't do away with the idea that he is truth and justice, but he also knows how to marry grace and mercy together. And he can walk in both of those things and be fully God. It doesn't ignore one side to do the other or pay attention to one side at the expense. God is the one that can do both things. And so I think the message of recovery and how you move forward. I mean, the Bible has so much to say about it. How about this? When it comes to the idea of divorce, God is neither silent nor naive. He has much to say. And basically, all of it is built around the idea of do everything that you can to make it work. But sometimes when it doesn't, how do you keep going forward in life? The Bible says this. If a righteous person falls seven times, seven times they get back up and keep going. And the idea is not you only have seven chances. I used mine up many years ago. The idea is simply this. It's, it's really uh, <clears throat> seven in that, in that particular usage would have just been a, a, a colloquial for the day that as many times as you fall, you have the opportunity to get back up in God. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not outcomes, that there's not... Uh, scars, that there's not uh, byproducts that you deal with. But it does mean that in spite of all of those things, God is still a restorer. So that's what I want to teach this weekend. Uh, I'm going to reference the idea of divorce, but I realize that, you know, so if statistics in the church, I don't know if they are exactly the same. They say at large in the world, uh, in the U.S., North America, the divorce is 50% rate. I don't think it's that high in the church. I do not think it is, but even if it's 30%, we're still dealing with a, a big number of people. But that would say that 70% would go, so pastor, is the message applicable to me? So let me tell you what I did. Instead of making it just about divorce, it's really about how to recover after loss. And all of us at some point, you have either dealt with loss, you're dealing with loss, or you will deal with if, look, if you don't say it, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen, right? It's, it, is the, it is the result of living in a fallen world. So put loss in any term. So, so show the, show the, uh, the opening, um, the, the way that I titled it. Do you have that on there, guys? So you could fill in the word divorce after divorce, but in, in the notes, I left it blank so that you could put whatever it is. So how about after death? After financial loss, after betrayal, after sickness, after a situation with a child, after a situation with a parent. You can define the loss. So even though I'll refer a little bit to divorce in this, I tried to write it on the wider scale so that it applies to everybody, that all of us at some point deal with loss at some time. How do you recover? How do you get back up? If, if we, we make the statement, our church exists to help people recover and discover the promises of God. Okay, discover is easy because it's almost speaking like for the first time you're doing it. Sometimes it's more difficult to recover. How does God do that for us? So that's the nature of the message, where we want to go. So if you have a pen or a pencil, uh, let's jump in. The first one just simply, I wrote this. Let me talk about the danger of creating God in our image. The danger of creating God in our image. Now, Genesis 1.26 uh, is actually the exact opposite of that statement right there. Genesis 1.26 is very plain spoken in telling us that God created us. We didn't create him. He created us in his likeness and in his image. That doesn't mean that God has uh, 
hands and fingers and arms and legs and a head and a mouth. That's not what it's referring to. Uh, when it says created in his image, it means attributes. So we're created with certain characteristics that God has. We have it, and the rest of nature does not have it. I, I taught on it one time. God is very creative. The Bible says he spoke into the darkness and created the light, and he put in us the ability to be creative. That's why uh, fashions change, cars change, houses change. Uh, we are create. There's a creative uh, instinct inside of every human that's given from God. Some are more creative than others. Some less. But the point simply is that you have a creative mind. You're, you're able to use your imagination. You're able to see. Uh, you have your taste and the things that you like. And my point simply is this, that those didn't come from uh, biology. They didn't come from evolution. They didn't come from uh, your, your background. Uh, it, it's not nature or nurture. Those were God's thumbprints in your life. God gave those to you. And simply what I want to do is just draw a quick distinction between the idea that God is not our idea. We didn't create him. He created us. And when we flow in that relationship, it flows well. But here's, here's an easy thing that people tend to do. Instead of letting God be God and realizing that, that he is infinite, we are finite, we tend to project on God the way that we think, the way that we feel. So how about this? The people that we dislike, we believe that God dislikes them too. We begin to create God in our image. The way that we view politics, we very much believe that that's the way that God feels about politics. Think about it. What you do in your life, how you live, the standards that you have, you are of the belief. You choose those things and you think those things and you hold on to those things because you think that that's how God feels about it. And the, the truth is he may or he may not. That's not the point. The point simply is God is not your God. You are his person. He created you. And there is a danger when we begin to create God in our image because what we do is we project onto him the way we feel about a situation. And typically, here's the way that it works. When we need recovery, we see ourselves as definitely worthy of mercy and definitely needful of God's grace. But when someone else makes the mistake, when someone else blows it, and especially when they did it on purpose... We tend to think they don't deserve to be restored. They don't deserve mercy. You know what they really deserve? They deserve what they get in the situation. We tend to think that's how God thinks about it. And let me just point out real quickly, uh, by the way, let's talk about you first. What made you worthy of the gift of salvation from Jesus? Say it. No, you, you did nothing to be worthy of it. You did nothing yesterday, you've done nothing today, and you'll do nothing tomorrow. Unconditional love is that he loves us despite the fact that we sin, that we blow it. But that's the truth for everybody else in the world too. When they blow it, they did nothing to deserve his love too, but he loves them also. So with the idea of restoration, real quickly, we're quick to think to ourselves, oh, there was mitigating circumstances to why I'm in my situation. My marriage, here's what happened, and it was like this. But when we look at someone else's, we tend to think, ah, they didn't try hard enough. They, they, didn't, they weren't committed enough. And we judge them as what we do, and we project that God feels the same way. And the truth of the matter is, God looks at all of us like a loving father. He sees everyone's heart. He sees everyone's situation. And nothing you can do, good or bad, makes him love you more or less. God is the same all the time in the way he loves us. And it's really good news. And if we just allow him to be God, what a wonderful way to live life. That's why Jesus gives the instructions, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It allows God to be bigger than just our little box in our brain. And when we create God in our own image, my goodness, it makes the world seem so puny and small. Uh, it, it makes retribution seem like the right way to go, that judgment's the normal way. Aren't you glad that God is not into judgment? And I guess in a way he was, but he satisfied it through Jesus. He judged Jesus instead of us. 
so that you and I don't have to be judged. And if we could see how God loves and how God sees people and how God feels about restoration in people's lives. Man, the way we would pray and the way we would encourage people and the advice that we would give, it would be so different. God's ability to restore when we don't deserve it is good news. That's why the gospel is called good news. And when we make the gospel bad news, we've done a disservice to who God is. We've created God in our image. and We've not allowed him to be who he is. Does that make sense? You following with me? God's ability to restore when we don't deserve it is what makes it good news. The Bible cautions us against the idea of creating him in our image. We limit him. We market him. We corner him. At least we think we have. The truth of the matter is, if you think you have God figured out and he's in your box, take a look at your, you're the one inside the box. God will never climb in your box. But you think you have him figured out. It's, it's, the finite will never be able to fully understand the infinite. That's why some of it is done by faith. All right, let me, let me just give you the second one here. The problem of an easy fix. We're talking about recovering. I'm mentioning divorce, but you fill in the blank on what recovery is. And when it comes to recovery, the reason that I don't want you to create God in your image is that I want you to see God. Here's what the Bible says. What's impossible with man is possible with So when you create God in your image, you're basically, you limit God. Never limit what God can do in your life or in the life of someone else. God can do what people can't do. Okay, so here's the second thing on the road to recovery. Let me talk about the problem of an easy fix. Now listen, I messed up the notes. It's my fault. Um, it's not the people that work with me and help me put all of this together. I sent the wrong scripture. And then um, we didn't discover it until last night, right before the start of the service. And um, so what, what uh, was told to me, uh, the person who I asked him about it, they said, uh, Pastor, I agree. It didn't make sense when I wrote it, but sometimes the things that you write don't make sense. <laughs> that's hurtful. That's, James, that's, that's hurtful. There's no arguing of like, okay, thank you for, for that. Um, so it's not 1 Samuel 16.20. It's Judges 16.20. And it's the story of Samson. And so I'm going to paraphrase it real quick to talk about the idea uh, that an easy fix, we want an easy fix for difficult, complicated situations. Just let me state this. Look at me real quick. There's a reason why God tells us to do certain things and not to do certain things. And it's not because God is a control freak. It's not because... He doesn't want you to enjoy making your own decisions. Any parent in this room will fully understand this. There's some things you tell your children, don't do that, do do that. And the reason you're doing that is because you know it's going to make their life better if they do it or don't do it. Do you agree with that statement? So that when God tells us, don't do this, it's not because he's trying to keep you from something he realizes what's going to happen is it's going to hurt you and you're going to want a quick fix and life doesn't always provide quick fixes, does it? Trying to come back from a place you weren't supposed to go to, do you understand what I'm saying? Is a yes. difficult thing. What's impossible with man is possible with God, but it's not a 15-minute counseling session, John, that can solve difficult problems, is it? Sometimes it takes deep surgery of a person's heart to get them back to the place of being okay. And surgery is a difficult thing. Yes. Healing is a difficult thing. And so God, he cautions us or encourages us towards some things because he understands if you go this direction, there won't be a quick fix. It, it, might, tight, it, might, uh, it might take you on a journey for a few years of your life. And when you're young, you feel like you can give a few years. 
But when you're my age, you realize you don't have years to waste. Does anybody hear what I'm... Are you guys with me? You seem very quiet, and I'm not sure, and, you know, this is where my mind starts playing tricks on me. Like, maybe they're right. Maybe I am confusing when I teach. Are you with me? Okay. So the problem... You. (laughs) The problem of an easy fix. Judges 16 tells the story of Samson. Um, The Bible says that Samson had a unique uh, call on his life. From the time uh, before he was born, the Lord had told his parents to raise him with a Nazarite vow. And here were the three things that he was supposed to do. Uh, He was to never cut his hair. He was to never consume any type of grape vineyard product, juice, wine, any product that comes from it. He was to avoid that. And he was not allowed to touch a dead body. And the point simply was he was dedicated in a special way to the Lord and he was to avoid things that would contaminate him. Does that make sense? The hair was just to, to show publicly that there was a, something different about him and a commitment And so when we pick up Samson's story, uh, it begins in 15 and 16. It says that Samson was walking through the vineyards in Timnath. And he came across the carcass of a lion. And bees had built a hive in the carcass of the lion. And he wanted the honey. So he's in the middle of a vineyard where he's not supposed to be. And the carcass of a lion is dead. He's not supposed to touch dead things. And we find him in a split second, two things that he had, two things at least that he had taken a vow on. He's, he's living right on the edge, isn't he? So it's not surprising when his life goes over the cliff. Um, shortly after that, he meets a woman uh, named Delilah. And Delilah is, um, you know, uh, this is not a good relationship. Uh, She was hired by the Philistines. He was the the defender of Israel and the terrorizer of the Philistines who were at war with Israel. And um, if you grew up in a Sunday school class and you ever got one of those, you know, you you color the picture of Samson, they always depicted him as a he-man with big muscles, but that's incorrect. He was not 24-7 strong. The Bible says the Spirit of God would come upon him, and because of the Lord's presence and the Lord's ability he could do strong feats, incredible feats. And so um, he's living his life violating what God had from the beginning told him to do. And uh, he comes into a town in Gaza and he meets this woman, Delilah. She's hired by the Philistines to figure out the source of his strength. So she begins to wear him down with sex and with nagging. Powerful combination. (laughs) How could you say that? I'm repeating what I read. And so she would would sleep with him, and then immediately she would begin to nag him about the source of his strength, and he didn't want to tell her because he realized he, he knew she wasn't a good woman. He knew. Something in the back of his mind he knew. And it was, uh, further, it was, um, it was revealed, but he, you know, when you live your life close to the edge, here's what the Bible says, you're like a person who steps in and out of a trap. And you think to yourself, because you do it over and over again, I'm okay doing this. And then it says this in Psalms, one day the trap closes and you're caught. And you can't get out. And he had lived his life so close to the edge without it costing him everything that he thought he was different than everybody else. I can get away with this. So he meets this woman, and he's sleeping with her, and she's wearing him down. So he gives her false answers. Uh, He says, the source of my strength is this. If you bind me with um, brand new ropes, then I'll lose all of my strength, and I would be taken prisoner. So while he sleeps... She binds him, and then she yells at him while he's sleeping, wakes him up. Samson, wake up. The Philistines are upon you. Now, when you wake up and you find yourself bound with what you said, you would have to think, 
there's a spy in the camp somewhere. <laughs> but this guy has lived his life so close to the edge, he thinks he can get away with it. He's not a dumb man. He's a foolish man. It's a difference between those two things. So he just snaps the new ropes. He jumps up. He routes the Philistines again. And Delilah's feelings are hurt. She cries and tells him, you don't trust me. What? I mean, you know, some le- this repeats itself three more times. Three more lies he tells her, three more ways she tries to, and each time, wake up, the Philistines are upon you, he would snap whatever it is. One time she wove his hair into a, a weave. He, he tells these most elaborate lies, she believes him, but, so they just keep repeating this pattern. Finally, the Bible says that her nagging wore him down, he couldn't take it anymore, and he simply said to her, the source of my strength is my hair. If my hair were to be cut, I would lose my strength. So the Bible says that he fell asleep on her lap, which is a metaphor. They had sex. And while he's sleeping, she has one of the Philistines cut him in. She doesn't wake him up because he's asleep on her lap. And the guy cuts his hair, and then she screams, Samson, wake up. The Philistines are upon you. And then it says this, maybe the most significant clue in It says that he woke up and he said to himself, I will shake this off as I have before. But he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. And they bound him, and they put his eyes out, and they put him in slavery. And my point simply is, and I just use a very difficult story to say that sometimes when we go to places in life where we're staying right on the edge and we're violating things that we know we're not supposed to be doing, we go beyond it and all of a sudden there are consequences for decisions we make and we want a quick and easy answer, don't we? I will snap out of this like I've always done. I'll bounce back. I'll I'll overcome this. I'll get up and I'll outrun this or I'll outthink this or I'll outbuy this. But he's in a trap now. And everything that God had given him is taken away from him in a moment's time. Does God still love him? God's love never changes. But his decisions put him in a place where there was no quick, easy out. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? When God tells us... uh, The Old Testament... The Lord speaking in the first person says, I hate divorce. He doesn't say, I hate divorced people. He says, I hate divorce, but this is why. Divorce has tremendous consequences that come with it. The devastation that it does in a person's heart. Not that you can't recover. Not that you can't end up in a better place but you don't snap your fingers and the next day it's like that. You'll go through a season where it feels like your soul's been reduced to the size of a pea. Where it's difficult to hear from God. Where financially all that you've worked for is suddenly in jeopardy. You're so quiet right now. You okay? Look at me. I don't want to pile on anybody. That's not my... I have such a tender heart towards you that I, I'm self-correcting the whole time that I'm teaching. Like, am I being too difficult? Am I being? T- I don't ever want to pile on somebody who finds themselves with a trap that's closed. You don't. That doesn't help anybody. But nor do I want to say to you, "Hey, this is how life goes." I want to help you get out of it. But sometimes it's not. There's not quick, easy. Snap your fingers and you can recover from this. Sometimes there's a journey. I have a scar on my arm that I've pointed out. I got it in the 10th grade, 40 years ago. My arm is is healed for all intents and purposes sake, but the range of motion is different than this arm. And I'll carry a scar. Yes, I'm healed. It happened 40 years ago, 
Here I am. I'm okay. But there's a scar and a process that came with this. Yes or no? It was very painful. It was very painful. Do you know I broke it doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing at the time? I skipped football practice to go play football. <laughs> with a bunch of friends. Yeah. Lied to the coach and went with a bunch of friends to play football and broke my arm trying to tackle a guy. That was a fun one with the coach. That was a... <laughs> I'm trying to judge right now whether I should just camp a little bit because I feel like the Holy Spirit is... But it's going to mean that I won't get to the end of my message if I do that. And so I'm just... I'm trying to hear from God right now. Um, when I was in school, I remember a teacher that uh, talked about Alexander the Great, and this was a legend. Uh, certainly, I don't believe that it was true, but it was a legend, and it was just an interesting thought. Um, in a town, an individual had tied an ox cart off at the entrance to the gate of the city, and had tied such an intricate knot that you couldn't tell where it went in and where it went out, and you couldn't just pull on it to undo the knot. And people would come and try to undo the knot, and they, they called it the Gordian knot. If you ever took a math class, they talked about solving the Gordian knot, and the, you have to think outside of the box. So here's what they had determined, that whoever is able to undo this knot would become the ruler. And so the legend was that Alexander the Great came in, saw the knot, tried over and over to undo it, couldn't do it, and realized the knot can't be undone that way. So he took his sword out and cut it in half. And became the ruler of Greece. And, you know, the, the story is that he was the only one able to think out. I, here's what I think about that. That Gordian knot is like a repeating pattern that happens in people's lives that sometimes things get so tied up that we think we can just reach in and untie it. And sometimes it gets so tangled, you can't tell where it goes in and where it goes out. And you go for counseling, and the counselor can't figure out how... You ever been there? Five or six of us have. You ever been there financially where it's so messed up? Can we talk for a minute? That there's just no easy way to do it. Sometimes you have to take the sword out and cut it and start all over again. I had a friend in 08 when houses were going like a rocket that leveraged himself beyond the max. And the Bible warns against how much debt we take on. And there's a reason. It's not because God doesn't want you to be wealthy or successful. It's that he knows that you become the slave to debt if it goes the wrong direction. And so my friend, who was very smart and very wise and very capable, saw an opportunity to do something for his family and his retirement, and he leveraged 35 houses. And two years later, does anybody remember what the market did? We had, for all intents and purposes sake, our own Great Depression. And the market just tanked with houses. You remember that they had taken all of those horrible mortgages and tied them together and sold them to very large banks in New York, banks that were too big to fail. You remember? And they failed. And here's what happened to my friend. He lost everything that he had worked for. Everything. All of the houses. Everything that they had built over years and years and years. Okay, fast forward. He loves God. He prayed a lot of prayers. But it has taken 10 years to get back to even right now. 10 years. Am I being too heavy? I'm just trying to... There are reasons why God tells us. And we set the pattern of what the world says. Like what the world does, that's okay. You're not a follower of the world. You're a follower of Christ. And we give ourselves to him and we follow him. And there are reasons why God encourages us to do certain things, 
not to do certain things because we can find ourselves in situations where the knot is so bad, the only way to solve it is to take a sword and cut it. Yeah, you live, but you lose so much. Three, the necessity of truth. Recovery requires truth. John 8, 32, Jesus is talking. This is a very famous saying. I guarantee that you know it. Uh, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So by implication, is this true? That if you don't know the truth, you can't be set free. So I've preached 33 years, and there's a scripture I've never used in a message that I intentionally put in this message right here. And when I read it to you, you're going to go, I see why you never used that scripture before. But it comes from Proverbs, and this is what it says. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Look, they say the height of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over and think you're going to get a different result. The difference between wisdom and foolishness, wisdom is when we do what God tells us to do. Foolishness is when we do what we want to do that goes opposite of God. And that's a harsh scripture, but what it's just simply trying to say is that like an animal goes back to that thing that's so, it's disgusting and it's, it's so, and we look at it and we go, why would you do, it's, it's the same idea of a person who keeps repeating folly because they don't understand truth. Does that make sense? Truth is so important. Grace is important. Jesus is the one that can marry the two things together. But truth is the thing that helps you from repeating patterns of destruction in life. So let me talk about the truth real quick. These, by the way, are recommendations. They're not, you have to go do this. If you don't do this, you're not going to have success. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not that smart, and I don't put myself in that situation. But I do this for a living, and I work with people who are trying to recover all the time. And I'm going to speak specifically to people who are experiencing divorce right now, but it could be recovery from an addiction, recovery from a financial disaster, recovery from a friend that let you down, a betrayal in your life in some way, a health issue. How do you recover? Let me speak a little truth. These are four things that I recommend that you practice because they're truthful. The first one is simply this. Whatever the situation is, but let's, let's talk about divorce. When you go through a divorce and you're on the other side of it, the first thing you need to do, dissect that thing. Do the autopsy on it and figure out which part was yours, which part was the spouse's, and repent and forgive. Repentance is necessary. If the balance was your partner did 98% of the things wrong and you did only 2% of the things wrong, what we tend to think is mine was so little and insignificant, you own yours, don't worry about mine. Let me tell you, worry about yours. Even if it's 2%, repent for your part. Because if you don't do that and you want to marry again, you're taking that same, even if it's 2%, you're taking it back into a new relationship with you. And the enemy will exploit that in the relationship. And if you're going to get married again, don't repeat the pattern of divorce. Get married again and make it for life. Get married again and hold on to that person and make it what it should have been in the first place. If you're like, Pastor, where do you stand on that issue? I will tell you. I do not believe a divorced person is now forever and ever on the scrap heap of life, a second-class citizen, or unable to do things for God. God is a restorer. Religion is what we use when we don't understand how God works. So I grew up in a church that told divorced people, you can go to church here, but you cannot serve in any significant position because you've had a divorce and they ignore gossip and they ignore drinking and they ignore all the other stuff but they make divorce the 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 sin of all give me a break how silly is that god is a restorer man repentance repent for your part and then hear me on this here's truth if you have been wounded if you have been offended if you have been hurt You've got to forgive. You have to. You're not doing it for them. You're not giving them a break. You're doing it for you so you can live. This is not me talking right now. Medical science has connected the fact that bitterness, that that, that wicked thing that it does on the inside of us, 
When you hold on to bitterness for long periods of time in your life, it harms you physically. They're connecting all sorts of stomach problems, uh, uh, nervous system problems. And how about this one right here? This is a weird one. I'm just going to throw it out there. They are searching ever so hard right now for how Alzheimer's. And I realize, is it, is it part of the environment? Is it, is it just genetics? It could be all of those things. But I also think this. People, man, that get themselves in such horrible places and don't climb. It does something to your mind. It harms you. For your own sake, let that stuff go. It's poison. But it's the kind of poison that when it feels good to hate people who have wronged you. And you take that poison in and it feels so good. But five minutes later, a poison has invaded your system. And it begins to work at the level of killing you. And now it's not easy just to get it out. Now it takes God helping you to... Any person in this room, you don't have to raise your hand. It's not rhetorical. But if you've ever found yourself where you hated someone, you were bitter about a situation, it was not your fault or maybe it, whatever, but you found yourself in that, if you've held on to it, how difficult is it after a year to let it go? Oh, it's hard, man. It's taken root in life. I'm not saying you have to do this, but it's my suggestion that if you want to cover, recover, repentance and forgiveness are necessary. Here more than anything else is why. If you hold on to bitterness, if you hold on to judgment, condemnation is going to be your constant partner. And anything that reminds you of your past all the time is not God, it's the devil and it's called condemnation. And the Bible says that if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation, but condemnation works when you let go of the stuff, when you just get it, you cannot afford to let it take up space. You're giving free rent to something that's killing you. Get it out of your life, man. Pastor, you don't know my situation. If you knew, what I really need is justice. No, what you really need is to be able to live freely. Let God take care of the justice part of it. Time. Just real quick. Restoration takes time. Let me read you some powerful words. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill, kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter and a time to gather, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to fear and a time, I'm sorry, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Turn, turn, turn. If you don't get that, you're not old enough to get that. It was said to a certain demographic that attends my church. Ask on the way home. God works in seasons in our life. Seasons can't be hurried. They can't be rushed. You can't buy your way out of a season. You can't pray your way out of a season. You can't claim your way out of a season. You can't force your way out of a season. Seasons are meant, created, and given to us for God to have his purposes done in our life. Healing comes through time. One of my best friends is Terry Hilgers. We're coming up on almost one year to the day, for those who go here, the loss of his wife. After a 45-year marriage, I meet with him every Tuesday morning at 7.30 and have for years. But our conversation, for the most part over the last year, is allowing my friend to ask the why questions right now. 
and the what questions and the how questions. And as much as I pray and I encourage and I tell them there's going to be a tomorrow and there's a future, do you want to know what the real truth is? That we're in a season of time right now that we just have to go through in order to get where God needs him to be. That the morning in his heart cannot be hurried. Because you think if you're going to skip morning, it will come back on you in the next relationship. Healing and life is found through cooperating with God's seasons in your life. And what we tend to do is rush as fast as we can away from a season. How about this? Generally, when we're in a difficult season, what you should be thinking about is your health. And why do so many people in difficult situations abuse their health and numb themselves? Because it hurts to have to go through process. You okay? God uses time to bring healing. And the next one is health. I have this quote. See if you agree with it. It's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. Did you hear me? Easier to build strong children than to repair broken adults. So let's talk about this just for a second. Use the idea of divorce. You've lost one of the spouses in the relationship and what was a family unit um, typically has now become sort of divided. One half here and one half here and kids are going back and forth in the situation. And I understand it and I get it. And it's the way that it works. But this is just like really critically important. In the middle of that time, you've got to think in terms of health. And not just about your health, but your children. And I'm not trying to pile on, but I'm trying to speak, man. You need influences in your children's life that are going to help them when they become adults to be good adults. So I was reading this little article about a bunch of elephants in Africa. Elephants are an endangered species right now. And so they're trying to raise as many as they can. And there was a, uh, a large park in Africa that actually ended up with too many elephants. And so what they decided to do was to take the juvenile males out of the herd and move them to another park about 50 miles away. And they never considered, they were trying to do something good, but they never considered unintended consequences. And what happened is they put these juvenile male elephants in a reserve that had white and black rhinos that are even more critically endangered. And what people do, the reason that they go after the elephants and the rhinos is they cut the ivory. And it's illegal, but on the black market, the stuff is worth more than gold per ounce. And so they'll kill a rhinoceros, and the only thing they'll take is its, its horn. Leave the carcass. They have 24-hour-a-day guards on these animals now. So they take these juvenile elephants, they move them 50 miles, they put it in a park with these rhinos, and all of a sudden, they begin to find these rhinos slaughtered, but their horn hasn't been taken. So now they're thinking the poachers are just shooting them for no reason at all, but when they dissect what happened... It's not gunshots, but tusks from elephants that were killing the rhinos. So they studied it, and here's why. Listen to this. These gang of juveniles formed gangs. Puberty doesn't hit an elephant until it reaches a certain age, but without the adults around, these juveniles moved suddenly into puberty with all of this testosterone they formed these gangs, and they would kill any and every animal, including the rhinoceroses. How do you solve that? Here's what they did. They went and got some adult female and male elephants, brought them back, and in 24 hours, it stopped these little gangs of elephants, and then they tested them, and the testosterone in the elephants reduced back to a juvenile. Here's all I'm going to say to you. We as a species are not that much different than elephants when it comes to the idea that God puts together 
things because it works well for a unit. And when you take one of them out, it can heavily influence how children turn out. And don't be mean to me right now and don't judge me. Listen to me. When I wrote this, I thought some single mom will hear this message and she's trying her best and I don't want you to feel condemned. Here's what I want you to do. It doesn't have to be the spouse, but find your father, a friend that you work with, someone here at the church that can be an influence in the life of your son and daughter. If you're a man, find a woman that can do that. It doesn't have to be through a relationship. It can be a friend. But God intends, there's a wholeness that comes. It's his order that he gave the family. Does that make sense? It's not our creation. It's God's creation. And we treat it as though we can experiment with it and it'll all turn. Kids are totally resilient, but they can sure go through hell before they bounce back. Am I making any sense? I mean, no condemnation from this, but I'm trying to... Recovery is not snap your fingers and everything's quick and easy. There's a... The message is a very serious message. I realize that. And I... uh... People tell me all the time, don't apologize, Pastor. I'm not apologizing for teaching the truth. But I have a heart for you. And it does me this... I just want you to know, there's no judgment in what I'm saying, and there's no harshness in what I'm saying, and there's no, there's no condemnation in it. I'm not talking down. I'm trying to reach across right now, and I'm trying to say God is a restorer. God puts things back together. God has a future for you, and he offers second chances over and over and over again, and that's great news. But there are steps to recovery that have to be paid attention to in order for it to come back together and to be healthy and to be right. God wants you restored, and that's the nature of the message. Just don't want you to go out of here and just think, man, we just, we do the best that we can do. That's, do what God wants you to do. And that's where restoration and hope is at. For those of you who are like, I'm so sorry I asked you to preach on divorce, Pastor. I wish I would have never. I hope you hear my heart in it. As we go to take communion right now, there's just two parts to this. The clear foil, pull that back and get the wafer. And then pull the tin back on it to get access to the juice and hold on to them so that we can do this together as a family. Here's why I think this really works out well for us is that this is the proof that God's idea of second chances comes from him and not us. Jesus fully did this so that he could put back what we gave up. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God created an environment and put the man and the woman in it with the idea that if you just do what I tell you to do, it will go so well. But he also gave them the flexibility to go their own way. And then there's the results of that. There's a great example. A fallen world is not an easy fix, is it? It's not an easy fix. But then Jesus comes along and it's God's idea to repair what's broken. He's called the repairer of the breach, what's broken. And communion is to remind us how God feels about us. That he's the God of a second chance. He's never the God of if only. He's the God of right now that if you need help if you've suffered loss if you find yourself in a place where it's difficult to recover if you find your heart reduced to the size of the communion wafer and it's just like I just pastor 
this just represents God reaching out to us. It's not our attempt to reach him. It's him reaching us. And so wherever you are, it's the proof that you're not a second-class citizen. You're invited to a guest of honor spot at the table. And I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you came from. I don't care if you even disagree with me right now. The bigger issue is that God loves you and invites you to the table. And if we could start our lives every day from that place right there, the restoration in that is huge. And he offers to you right now restoration. So wherever you are and whatever it represents when we fill in the blank, recovery from whatever it is, let this be a witness to you that God wants you to recover and that God does not treat you like some second-class citizen who no longer has options. Father, we receive this bread right now. Jesus said, when you do this, remember me. It's not just to remember his name. It's to remember what he did for us, how he feels about us, and the invitation that he gives us to join him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're just acting out ahead of time that we have a place in eternity with him. And so as we take this bread, we take into ourselves reconciliation right now and restoration. Let's eat. And the same thing with the wine. As we take it into ourselves right now, Jesus said this is the new covenant. It's new because it's based on better promises. It's not a half covenant. It's not a contract. It's a promise that when you join him in this right here, he, he is the one who restores. Not you, he. And so if you need restoration in your life, let's take restoration into ourselves right now. Jay's got this very powerful, he and Donnie, and this really powerful song that just fits this moment. The words are crucial. He's going to say something. I'm just going to tell you, I'm 14 minutes and 22 seconds long. Okay? And I know we have another service that we need to get in here. And I apologize for putting the strain on you on the in and out, but I don't apologize that God wants to do something right now. And so when Jay... Before you just go, give God the next three minutes and listen to the words of this song. Through our last couple months, we've just seen a growth in the way that worship and the message have kind of started to exist together and move our church and the heart of what God's doing in the same direction in a new way. And so this week, in the end of the messages, we're always prayerfully asking God what song and what words would best tie together what's happening. But um, Pastor John and I were talking this week, and there's a desire for our thread of our whole service to be one movement that God can just move through in our lives. And so we just want to define as a church this time after the message is something that we would hope you wouldn't run out on. And I know you have things going on and that happens, but I was praying about it and I felt God say, this is the next step. You can hear a message and you have the opportunity right here to just step right into the next part of what he wants to do between you and him in response. And so as we bring these songs prayerfully, desiring to just bring the truth of who God is, I would invite you to respond however you want. If you want to stand up with your arms all the way up, do it. And if you want to sit and not say a word, do it. But I would just direct that the words that we're choosing are words that mean something to respond to. So at least pay attention to what's happening here to allow God to speak into that. I've been strong and I've been broken within a moment. I've been faithful and I've been reckless at every bend. Held everything together and watched it shatter. I've stood tall and I have crumbled at the same time. I have wrestled and I have trembled towards surrender. She 
Makes my heart adrift and drifted home again Plundered blessing till I've been desperate to find redemption And every time I turn around, Lord, you're still there And I was found before I was lost, I was yours. Before I was not, what grace do you spare for all my mistakes and that part just wrecks me? And I no, I don't deserve this kind of love, but somehow this kind of love is who you are. It's a grace I can never add up to be somebody you still want, but somehow you love me as you find me you love me as you find me who am I to think your glory needs my praises but if this borrowed breath is yours Lord take it all you are faithful and you are gracious and I'm just grateful to think you don't need a single thing still you want my heart I was yours before I was lost and I was yours before I was not with grace to spare for all my mistakes and that part just wrecks me if it's in your heart to stand and sing just go ahead and do it and I know I don't deserve this kind of love but somehow this kind of love is who you are it's a grace I could never add up to be somebody you still want but somehow you love me as you find me Love me as you find me Oh, you love me as you find me You love me as you find me You love me as you find me Your love's too good to leave me Oh, you love me as you find me Your love's too good to leave me here You love me as you find me Your love's too good to Sing. leave me here If you want my heart I won't second guess Cause I need your love more than anything I'm in I'm yours Your love's too good to leave me here Sing that again Your love's too good to leave me If you want my heart I won't second guess Cause I need you now more than anything I'm in I'm yours Your love's too good to leave me here 
so heavy but brings hope and life because of who you are Jesus I pray that your truth would cut condemnation cut every lie cut every hurt out of the way Lord to just that pure vertical expression of our thanks to you Lord and in turn the experience of the one true God of who you truly are and who you truly desire to be to us when we move our decisions about who you are and our image of what that means out of the way, Lord, to just look right at who you are and just bring ourselves to you, Lord. Not every situation can just be tied up with a bow right here in this room, and we recognize that, Lord, but we know that you know and that you're working and that you're moving, and so, Lord, I pray that as we go from here, that the hope we find and the life we find in the fact that you are in control, you do want to restore and you are restoring and you are bringing fresh life into it would overtake everything else in every way that every person needs it right now. Lord, I can pray that big prayer, but you know all the specifics and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pray on behalf of every person in this room right now. Thank you for this room of people. Thank you for your heart for us. We love you. We lift you high and we pray this in your name. Amen.